You are listening to the Less Drama, More Mama podcast, episode 212, Managing Special Needs, Motherhood, and Money with Abby Peretz. This is Less Drama, More Mama, the podcast for moms who want to feel calm, in control, and confident about how to handle anything life throws their way. If you're ready to go from feeling frazzled and disrespected to feeling calm and connected, this is the podcast for you. I'm your host, Pam Howard. Hey, Mama. Welcome to the podcast. I realized just a couple of days ago that this week marks the fourth anniversary of this podcast. How awesome is that? That's a lot of episodes and a lot of content. And I'm so, so grateful to you for listening, sharing, and reviewing the show. If you haven't left a review yet, please take just a few minutes out of your day today to do that. Your reviews help other moms see the podcast in their feed and in their recommended lists. And it helps more moms discover how they can have less drama and more mama in their lives too. I also want to remind you that I'm offering free back-to-school mini sessions now through September 15th to help you with your back-to-school struggles. You can sign up for that at lessdramamoremama.com forward slash school. In today's episode, I interview a mom of five who didn't want to choose between spending time with her kids and having a successful career, so she figured out how to have both. Abby Peretz is a professional copywriter with over 20 years of experience and has written content for some of the biggest brands in the world, including Pfizer, Toyota, Avery, The Gap, and Sony, just to name a few. She founded Successful Freelance Mom to support and encourage women and mothers to create profitable freelance businesses that fit into their busy lives. Whether you're trying to get a business off the ground while managing toddlers, teenagers, or a day job boss who throws regular tantrums, Abby's no-nonsense approach will show you how to get the right work done in small chunks of time without making you nuts. We also talk about her journey parenting a special needs child and living through a very dark period after he was diagnosed with and treated for leukemia. Abby is a self-proclaimed oversharer, but I found her vulnerability refreshing and her candidness very valuable. So although this is one of the longest episodes I've ever done, I think you'll really enjoy it. So without further ado, here's my interview with Abby Peretz. Hi, Abby. Welcome to the Less Drama, More Mama podcast. I'm so excited that you're here. Thank you so much for having me. I've been looking forward to this. Me too. So why don't we start by you introducing yourself, tell us who you are, where you are, um, and what you do. Sounds good. Um, also, you should know that I am a chronic oversharer, so feel free to interrupt <laughs> me and cut me off at any time. No problem. Uh, hi, <laughs> I'm Abby. I live in Israel and I have lived here for a lot of my adult life um, for the past 11 years now and for another six years from the time that I was 18 to 24. I have five children uh, two of them have special needs. One of them has like actual special needs and one of them has like minor special needs that other families might consider a big deal, but we don't. Um, and I've worked as a writer, uh, as a freelance writer for um, 23 years because I started when my oldest was born and she's 23 now. So there you go. All right. And so what are the ages of the five kids now? Yeah. Uh, the youngest is 13. And then, then there's 16, then I'm really making some mental gymnastics. It's very hard. (laughs) Yes. There are five of them. So then we have almost 19. He's 18. He'll be 19 uh, very soon. Um, and then 21 and 23, the two oldest are girls. The other three are boys. Okay. Awesome. And, and what do you do for a living? Um, I, I'm a freelance writer. I have been right. It's, a, it's all good. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I have been writing for clients for the last 23 years. Uh, I've never really had a real job. I had I was hired as a as a junior copywriter. I didn't know what that was. Um, out when I was still in school in Israel, um, and 
I had like a little bit of office experience, but the the whole company was three people and I left as soon as I had my first baby. So uh, I don't really feel like I've ever had a real job. I've always been a freelance writer, did not know what that was when I started. I just started anyway. So I've been writing for clients, writing all kinds of things for them for the last 23 years. Okay. But that's not all you do. Like, tell us a little bit about your, the business that you started and how you help other moms. Indeed. So there's like a whole backstory here. Um, but basically, like I said, when my first baby was born, I, I didn't want a real job. Um, I didn't want to wear pants with buttons. That was a, I, I'm not joking when I say this, like that was a major motivator for me. I was like, I don't want to do something that requires me to put on jeans. Yeah. I just had a baby and I wanted to be with her also, but I really feel like it was the pants. And so... <laughs> So I became a freelance writer and that was great. And I wrote for clients and I did that for a long time. And I had a bunch of kids along the way. And then we went through this period in 2013 when my son with special needs um, was also diagnosed with cancer. And I had to stop working completely for two years, three years, something like that. Blurs. It was a long time ago. Um, and when I came, when when he was better and I was like in a place where I was sort of better, but not really better, I didn't have the patience to work with clients right then. And what was happening also is I was in a Facebook group for moms of kids with cancer. And I was fortunate enough living in Israel at the time, we have universal health care. And so all of my son's care and treatment was covered. I didn't pay any money for that. Mm-hmm. And that's not the case in some countries like the United States. Hmm. And you can lose your house when you go through a medical crisis like that. And it is, it can become extremely expensive with no warning very quickly. And also having a child with cancer is not conducive to working in a regular nine to five job. So um, I was in this Facebook group with a lot of moms who were really struggling with the cash part of living. You know, like, how do I pay for stuff? How do I pay for groceries? How do I keep the lights on? How do I make rent? And I started telling them like, okay, well, there's some freelancing you could do. What does that mean? Well, you could do this, you could do that. And I just started very informally explaining to them the process that I had followed many years prior when I started myself. And you know, I'd explain to them how to do things and they'd go and do them. And then they'd write me back and they'd be like, oh my God, I did what you said. And I just got paid $400 and now we have groceries. Mm, And I was like, this is kind of, you know, for me, I was in this very dark place. I, my kid had been sick for a long time. I had four other children who I frankly completely neglected while my son was sick. And we were dealing with all the emotional fallout in all the ways. And I still, I know like, it's not logical, but I felt like I had created a son with genetic abnormalities in my body and then he got cancer. So again, I realized logically this makes no sense, but I felt an enormous amount of guilt because guilt is irrational and whatever, Mm -hmm. I'm a mom. And uh, so I was dealing with all of that and I was really in a very dark place. And having these women who I was helping was so good for me. Like it's one of the things that they tell you when you're depressed to get out of your own head and and do something for someone else. And it's really, I mean, for me, at least that was something that really worked. It gave me a reason to not sit and cry on my kitchen floor. You can see like, even when I, I know, talk about you, it, you yeah. guys can't see Abby right now, but she's getting emotional just talking about this. Yeah. <laughs> like I would, I would literally, I would get everybody out the door in the morning and then I would sit on my kitchen floor and cry, um, for hours. And, and, it's, and so when I had these women who were like, wait, but I need you to tell me the next step. And I would tell them, and then they would come back to me and be like, oh my God, it worked. That was amazing. Mm-hmm. So I built this business. This was a very long answer to your question. <laughs> so, Perfect. I built this business called Successful Freelance Mom, where I teach women, mostly mothers, how to start a successful freelance writing business. My own experience is in writing, so that's what I know about. A lot of these principles apply to any kind of freelance business, like design or I don't know, coding or like other things. But I, my specialty, what I know how to teach people how to do is how to start a freelance writing business, even if you know absolutely nothing about this, because as I said, I knew nothing about this when I started. So even if you've never like considered this idea of being paid to write, if writing is a thing that you like and you care about words, it is something that you can get paid to do. That's amazing. Okay. And I know I told you before we pressed record that I was we were going to talk about 
we were going to talk about other things before we got into the business thing, but we just jumped right in there. But I, I do want to, I do want to um, put a hold on talking about the business stuff and we'll come back to it at the end. And you're going to talk sure. about more about that and how, how moms who are listening, who may be interested in that can, can learn more and get more help from you. But let's go back to, um, you mentioned a couple of things that I really want to dive more into. One is that you have two kids with special needs, one with mm-hmm. sort of special needs. <laughs> and then, um, so all will hear- be revealed. Don't worry. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I want to hear more about the, that. And also, I mean, obviously the, the cancer diagnosis and everything you went through with that, I really haven't talked much on this show about, um, special, you know, kids with special needs and issues. And so I think, I know that this is huge for my listeners and having somebody else on the show to speak to her experience about parenting a child with special needs, um, all the challenges that go into that. I know it's going to be really, really valuable. So um, tell us about how did you discover that your child had special needs? Sure. So Adi is my third. Um, when he was born, so he was born in a planned home birth with a midwife. So we had plenty of prenatal care ahead of time. I had ultrasounds and everything. And they did mention multiple times in ultrasounds. They're like, wow, this kid has a big head. This is going to be super fun for you. And I was like, great. Thanks for sharing. Cool. Um, and everything was normal with the pregnancy, completely, completely normal. Adi was born in this planned home birth with the midwife. I give birth very quickly, which is why I made the choice to move to home births after my first baby was born. My first baby was born. I had one contraction, my water broke. And two hours later, I was holding a oh live baby. Yeah. So I figured with most subsequent babies, I would have even less time and that has tracked. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so he was born and within 10 seconds, the midwife said to me, we may need to go to the hospital. And I remember thinking, what an idiotic thing to say. The baby's already been born. Why would we possibly go to the hospital now? She's crazy. Um, what she saw immediately was that Adi was struggling to breathe. If you're at all medical, which I have become, uh, she saw retractions, meaning his chest was falling down every time he inhaled, which can indicate many different things. Sometimes it's literally just that the baby has some phlegm in his throat and needs to cough it up. So she was, you know, kind of irritating him, trying to get him to cough, trying to get him to expel whatever might be blocking his airways. Um, he he breathed on his own. He just was working hard. Okay. Well, he was, was he crying when he He did cry, but it was like kind of a weak cry and Mm -hmm. he was very floppy. He didn't have any muscle tone. His skin was kind of hanging off his body. And this is common in newborns who are perhaps a little bit premature, but a D was tracking at full term size. Like if we went by size of the baby and we had measured and all of those things. And so we thought that he was 37 and a half weeks later, we kind of figured out that perhaps he had just been tracking very large the whole way through. Anyway, we wound up going to the hospital and he was admitted to the NICU and I was not admitted because I was not a patient. Like I had not given birth in the hospital. So we had this situation where we had two daughters at home and one baby in the hospital and everybody kept telling us, yeah, something's very wrong with your kid, but we don't know what. Mm-hmm. which is extremely reassuring. Yeah. So, um so we were in the NICU overall for 11 days and when we left, they said okay, good luck. And they couldn't really tell us anything. They were like, you need to treat what you see. So you need physical therapy. You need occupational therapy. You're going to need developmental and speech therapy down the line, most likely, but probably your baby will catch up. We don't actually know anything for sure. And I was like, this is fantastic. Great. I'm so glad that medical professionals are (laughs) so clear on their instructions. Mm -hmm. And we brought our baby home. And like, like they told us, we treated what we could see. So we got all of that zero to three, uh, help where you have people coming to your house and working with your child, which means that your house needs to be some form of presentable most of the days of the week. And that's super fun when you have a newborn and a bunch of toddlers. I remember one day in particular, we had somebody come over somebody new and she's trying to like get all this information from me. And in the other room, my girls are screaming at each other because one of them will not share her imaginary pizza with her (laughs) sister, right? You can't make this stuff up. And uh, it was horrible. And, and he was behind in every single one of his milestones. I remember going to the pediatrician for his 12, 12 week checkup. And the pediatrician said, 
is he smiling? And I said, uh, no. And he said, well, why not? I said, I don't know. Maybe he's not very happy. And he's like, well, if he's not smiling, you know, in another seven days, we need to talk. We need to have a serious conversation. And he waited until the seventh day and like the eighth hour of the seventh day. And then he started smiling. And that is how, that is how a D has been his entire life. Like he gets to the milestones, but like in his own sweet time. And it's literally like, we're having whole conversations with medical teams and they're like, well, we're going to have to do this. And then he'll be like, or not. Right. So, um, Then we moved, we moved from, we were living in Southern California when Adi was born and we moved from Southern California to Texas. And we had just had Adi's two-year checkup and the doctor said to us, oh, you have a healthy three-year-old, ha, 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 because he was so big. And um, we all thought it was a funny joke. We used to have conversations. My husband and I were like, we're going to sign him to the Lakers now because he's (laughs) so tall. Like he's going to be just a giant and it's going to be amazing and we're going to make a billion dollars. So um we moved to Houston. We got a new pediatrician in Houston. And she said, I know you said that your other pediatrician said everything's fine and he's just delayed and he's going to catch up. That's great. I want you to see genetics and I want you to see um, neurology. And we were like, okay. And she said, and I want you to say Marfan syndrome. I want you to put that out there. Now, Marfan syndrome is an overgrowth syndrome. It's actually what Abraham Lincoln had. Mm-hmm. Um, so you get like these really long limbs, uh, extreme height. And I actually worked with a with a mom. She's probably uh-huh. listening. Um, who who um, her husband had Marfan's okay. and one of her sons. Yeah. Right. So you can have like, it can be, there can be, you can have a completely intellectually normal life um, and have Marfan syndrome. And I remember thinking like Marfan syndrome, whatever. Mm -hmm. So we go to, first we go to neurology. We see neurology first. And the neurologist says to me, you know, I said, and she wanted us to say Marfan. He's like, yeah, he doesn't have Marfan. And I was like, I know. Right. And he's like, he has this. And he pulls out a book and points to a picture. And I was like, And it's a syndrome. It's a rare syndrome. It's called Soto syndrome, S-O-T-O-S, named for the researcher who found it Mm -hmm. and who found the genetic anomaly. And so it's an overgrowth syndrome that causes developmental disability, similar to what you see with a Down syndrome. Um, Also, it's very common for children with Sotos to be on the autism spectrum. And a D is in fact on the autism spectrum. And like just hearing this whole, oh, so this is not a developmental delay. This is a permanent disability. This is something that will be with you and your child for his entire life. Like that is horrific. Mm -hmm. And there are things that your brain will do to try to protect you, which is basically to shut down. Like you don't, you literally do not take in all of the information at once. And I think that this is so critical, not only for parents to know, but for healthcare professionals to know and really internalize and understand when you give someone a life-changing diagnosis like that, they do not comprehend all of the information at once. You need to, there needs to be follow-up over multiple weeks and months. Um, I One of the things that I have learned for myself is that acceptance comes in stages. You do not immediately accept this new reality and walk out into the world and process all of it at once. Of it is an ongoing you? thing. Yeah, oh my gosh. It is an ongoing thing. And when I meet parents now, when I meet moms now who are like at the beginning of the special needs journey, they're like, but you're so seen and normal and like not drunk all day. And I'm like, right. Cause I did that, <laughs> you know, like right. 18 years ago, I, 16 years ago, I did that. Like I was in that place of like, I just want to drink my, I mean, I, I shouldn't say that. Like I, I'm not a drinker and I don't want to like glorify the mommy. You wanted to culture. escape your pain. You wanted, I to, wanted escape. to escape my pain. Mm-hmm. I wanted to, I mean, I cried a lot. Mm-hmm. I was angry. I would say I'm probably still angry, um, <laughs> but I was, I was really angry, like to the point where I was not capable of having normal relationships with people. I am to this day, I am very, I'm going to say jealous of other people's neurotypical children. Like I don't necessarily think that they deserve their children. And that mm-hmm. I realized that that is not a healthy place to be. And I work on that somewhat. Um, but I, I also recognize that in myself. Um, yeah. I've come up with my own coping mechanisms. You might have noticed that dark humor is one of them. <laughs> um, so so uh, there's a lot that happens when you get a diagnosis like this. And it is, I mean, there's also a grieving process that happens. Like you thought you had, like when we had a D, this was my first son after two daughters. And I had these visions of him going with his father to synagogue and like 
I had to accept that certain things were not going to happen. And you never fully accept the limitations that the the world or the universe or God places on your child, right? Because that's not what mothers do. We don't accept those things. But you learn to be okay with success being redefined. You don't learn that in a day or a week or a month or a year. You learn that gradually over time in an ongoing way. Like my son is 19 and I'm still learning that. Yeah. Yeah. And still getting emotional when you're telling this story. Yeah. So you said a couple of things that I I wanted to expand on. Number one was like, when you you said, you know, moms will look at you now and say, you're so level-headed or whatever. Like, (laughs) I think that's so common, you know, with me too. Like, so parents will say, you know, how can, how do you do it? How do you stay so calm with your kids? It's like, well, I got here because of what I learned when I was, Yes, hot mess, you know, so (laughs) careful not to like compare where you are to someone else's, you know, what do they say? Don't compare your Your middle middle to to someone else's middle. Yeah. Whatever. whatever. So, yeah. So that was great that you mentioned that. And, um, I was curious to know what support did you have? Did you, did you go to therapy? Did you reach out? Did you have, you know, family community? Like, how did Mm -hmm. you, get to where you are. So I did a few things that in retrospect were extremely wise and I will not try to claim like I was so smart and I did these things. I did them by accident and they turned out to be very good decisions. So one, I had just had my fourth baby when we got Adi's diagnosis. My fourth baby was three weeks old and I walked into the fourth baby, Yoni. I walked into his three-week checkup and I said to the pediatrician who had been with us through, like, you know, she was the one who sent us for this diagnosis. And she was also a friend of ours, like personally. Mm-hmm. Um, and I said to her, what can I take for anxiety while I'm nursing? And she was like, oh, yes, absolutely. Like, so right away I got on medication, huge. And mm-hmm. I think, I think that honestly, Lexapro should be in the water supply. I think we'd all be much better off. Um, I think there's nothing shameful about taking medication. I think it's incredibly brave to say I need help. I also think that most women after age 30 go through hormonal and chemical changes in our brains. Like we literally don't make the stuff that our brains need to make in order for us to be on an even keel. So huge, huge fan of the drugs. Yes. Um, (laughs) under the auspices of a doctor. Yes. Um, Also, I started blogging. Uh, The day that Adi got his diagnosis, I came home and I started a semi-anonymous blog. Over the years, it became far less anonymous. Um, But in the beginning, like, uh, you know, I didn't know how much information I wanted out there. But very, very quickly, I decided we didn't do anything wrong. And there's no shame in having a child with special needs. And heck yeah, I'm going to talk about it because it's important. And I know how much information I was looking for and I want to help other people with that. So I literally just met, I was just on vacation for a week and I met this woman who in the airport on the way home, like we're waiting for our plane to go home. And she said to me, so it was a group trip, right? So we were with these families the whole time, but the last day of the trip, she says to me, you know, I have to, I have to confess something to you. And that was the word she used. Mm -hmm. And I said, sure. And she said, I also have a child with special needs and I have spent my life not telling people that. And I was like, Like, I mean, I didn't want to say to her, like, that's horrifying, but that's horrifying. Like, why would you, why would you do that to yourself? Why would you carry this around? Like it's some sort of shameful secret. Why would you make your other children feel like something's wrong with our family and we're not allowed to talk about it? Why would you put yourself through that? Talk about it, man. Like you didn't do anything wrong. There's nothing wrong with your family. There's nothing wrong with your child. There's nothing wrong with you. There is no shame in having a child with special needs. And talking about it is so good. Such a hard concept, I think, because like you said before, like the brain just goes crazy with something is wrong. And, you know, that, that just means something's wrong with me. Right. But it just, I think that it's, it makes it so much harder. I I have a friend now who's going through a cancer diagnosis and she's also, she's trying not to tell anybody. I'm like, I don't want to, I don't know how to tell you this, but it's going to become very obvious at some point. <laughs> like, yeah. I mean, I didn't want to tell notice. people, I didn't want to tell people when I was getting divorced, I had shame about that, you know? And right. then when I talked about it on my blog at the time, right. and then all of a sudden, like people were coming out of the woodwork telling me about yeah. they had been divorced and right. what could they do for me? And it was like, Oh, being vulnerable is yes. not a bad thing. <laughs> it's yes. actually really 
you know, it creates connection and it creates yes. so much more love. And so, yeah, that was it's huge, huge lesson. I mean, talking about it and, and making sure that my other children knew that, that this is going to be hard for all of us and, and that's okay. And it's okay to feel the things that we're feeling. And it's okay to be mad and it's okay to be resentful. And it's okay sometimes to feel like I hate my brother and I hate these things that are happening. One, those are normal feelings for all children. Um, two, certainly in a family where you have special needs and you have a child who is demanding more of the time and resources and money, frankly, um, and attention and everything else. And you're a kid and you're like, you know, eight years old, 15 years old, whatever, that's going to make you really, really angry and resentful. And those are normal feelings and nobody should try to tell you, how could you, how dare you? My kids remember, and they're big now, right? So my daughters were talking to some friends recently about how Adi, we are a family who doesn't know how to speak a language other than sarcasm, which sucks for Adi because he mm. is on the autism spectrum and sarcasm is really hard for him. However, mm. he's lived with us for a lot of time, a lot of years. So he's picked up on it somewhat. Anyway, whenever somebody in our house says what's for dinner, the standard answer is rocks. Uh, and D can't stand it. So the other day the kids were teasing him, you know, they're like, Hey, we're going to have rocks. We're going out for rocks now. Do you want to come out for rocks with us? So they're telling their friends about this. And, and one of their friends was like, I'm sorry. So you're saying you were making fun of a child with special needs. And they were like, no, we were giving our brother a hard time. Like there's a difference, you know, like this is how we have normal sibling relationships. We treat this brother like our other brothers, end of discussion. And I think that that's so important to acknowledge. Like you are going to live with this every day for the rest of your life. Get, find ways to cope, find ways to express yourself and be healthy. Yeah. How did your, I'm curious to know, how did your kids um, react with everything that went on with his diagnosis? And then also- if you're willing to share, which I think you will be, um, <laughs> how did it affect your marriage? Oh yeah. Okay. So, um, gosh, as a chronic oversharer, I love these questions. <laughs> okay. So my favorite topics are me and what else do you want to know about me? <laughs> um, so, so, um, so my daughters, when a D was born, my daughters were, Oh goodness, this is really difficult. So Leo was born in 1999 and Adi was born in 2003. So I guess she was like three and a half, four and Sheer was a little bit younger. So it's not like we really sat them down and like had a big discussion. They were little kids and we didn't know all at once. So then when we got the diagnosis, um, you know, they were a little bit older. And so we told them like, yeah, all of these things that Adi has, he's going to keep having them. Like we're going to keep needing help. Um, And as they got older and we talked more about it, you know, how did they react? I think they didn't know anything else. So it was, this was what they knew. Um, They did, they knew that their brother needed more help and they knew that he did things differently. It really started becoming a thing when, you know, then when we had these other two children after a D and they started hitting milestones that he did not hit. Like they, you know, they passed him developmentally, even though they were younger. Um, But again, it's hard for me to say like, because it's not like I had a bunch of older kids and then I had this child with special needs and we had like a whole discussion about it. It This has always been a part of my kids' lives for as long as they remember themselves. And it has always meant that we've had to do things a little bit differently to the way other families might do them. Um, and we've had to make adjustments and they have all at some point gone through a point where like they've all done the thing where either they made fun of a D or like they went along with other kids who were making fun of a D and then because that was a part of normal childhood, they wanted to be part of the group. And then they all got to the place where they were like, Oh, don't even start with my brother. Cause he could mm-hmm. eat you for breakfast. Um, <laughs> and so, Um, and I think that that's a part of normal development as well. Mm -hmm. As for my marriage, um, yeah, I, I've been married for 26 years and my husband and I have been through everything that you can go through. Um, and I'm very lucky because guy is really like, he shines in a crisis. I do not. I am very good at analyzing the crisis afterwards. Um, <laughs> I suck in the moment. So like when Adi was born and he was in the NICU, the 
doctors there said, you know, he needs to wake up and cry every three hours to be fed. And if he didn't wake up and cry every three hours to be fed, they would uh, tube feed him. And Guy said to them after like one day of that, he was like, okay, this is stupid. You're saying you want him to wake up and cry to be fed, but you're teaching him that he doesn't need to wake up and cry to be fed because you're going to feed him anyway. Mm -hmm. And I was not in a place where I could make these arguments. Like these arguments did not even occur to me because I had just had a baby. Um, and so guy like really went and stood up to these doctors and he was like, no, I demand that you remove this feeding tube and let the baby wake up and cry to be fed. You got to love the Israelis. Right. Totally. <laughs> so good. And so they did. And, you know, it took like three hours and 27 minutes or whatever. Um, but then he woke up and he cried cause he hadn't been fed. Yeah. And like this, I, I think that that was a big turning point for us in the NICU. Um, and when we went through our cancer diagnosis as well, um, like guy really stepped up and just did the thing. Like he did nights at the hospital. And then during the day he would go to work all day. Like Hmm. what? You know, I was like barely brushing my hair. Like there were actual days when I was like, did I brush my, I don't think I did. Mm -hmm. So, you know, he's like going to work. Um, and it, it just, there are some, I, there are a lot of couples who these kinds of things, break them. Um, and we were, we are very lucky because it's made us stronger. Like, sure we fight. Um, and sometimes I think he's an idiot and whatever. Um, and I would say that most of the time, I think he's pretty amazing. Um, definitely the best dad my kids could ever have had and an amazing husband as well. Um, he is there when it counts. Um, you know, he's there on an everyday basis as well, but he really shows up when it counts. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Awesome. So what do you think people who don't have special needs children, what do you think they misunderstand the most about, <laughs> about kids with special needs or about moms yeah. of kids with special needs? I think a big thing is there's a lot of like sympathy that's misplaced. Like a lot of feeling sorry for children and families with special needs. That's very misplaced. Like I don't need your pity pity. Mm -hmm. That's the word. It's not so much. It's pity. I don't need your pity. My kid doesn't need your pity. My kid is freaking awesome. And if you don't see that, like if what you see is, oh, he's accomplished so much, you are missing out on the person because my kid is awesome. And also he's a kid who's sometimes a jerk. And like, sometimes you're like, just go to your room, leave me alone. Like you're being disgusting. I don't want to talk to you. You know, like he's a kid. He's, he goes through the normal range of emotions of a child and, and can be a pain in the butt and can also be amazing. So he's like a whole person. And to only see the parts that like deserve, like that, you know, that you can pity or that you can feel morally superior to, or like, feel like, well, I'm such a good person because I have a friend who has a child with special needs. No, you're not. <laughs> so, yeah. What do uh, what do people say or do that you that you interpret as like they're pitying me? Well, God chose you for this. God only gives you what you can handle. And you were chosen to be Adi's mom. And I just don't know how you do this. This you are so strong. You want to mm-hmm. see how strong I am? I'll smack you in the face. You'll see how strong I am. So, <laughs> oh. <laughs> Okay. I mean, because I want people to hear this because that, you know, they're well-meaning, but I think it brings us a level of sensitivity and awareness. And so, and so what do you want? What would be like, would be better? I don't know. People ask me that a lot because I'm very vocal about what I don't like. Yeah. You know, I really just, I, I don't, I don't want it to be a thing. Um, one of the things that really affected me recently is my child was part of a volunteering program here. And when we went to like the big, you know, end of the year festivity thing, I heard the same speech that I've been hearing Adi's entire life, like where the volunteers who work with the, the the kids with special needs, they all get up and they give some version of a speech. It's like, oh, we gained so much more than we got. We received so much. It was just such an honor. I'm so tired of hearing that. Like my child is not your your butt mitzvah project. My, my child is not here to atone for the sins of the world. Um, and he's not, he's much more than just a beautiful mm. soul. Like he's yeah. a person. And, yeah. and that's where, that's where my anger and resentment kicks in. Like, please see him as a whole person. And, and I, I just, I think that's my biggest struggle is I, I'm very, 
I'm very anti-performative inclusion, inclusion that we do to make ourselves feel better about ourselves and, Mm. and about, I mean, that's really like the performance, like the inclusion that we do to make ourselves feel better. If you want to actually include my kid, that's awesome. Um, and I'm not saying there shouldn't be accommodations and things like that, but when you make it more about how you feel as the volunteer than about the experience my kid is having, I have an issue with that. Mm, That's really helpful. Okay. If you could give advice to other moms, um, with special needs kids, what do you think that would be? So I have a lot to say. Um, let me, let me start by going back to my, my other kid who, like I say, has some special needs, but not really. Um, so my fifth kid was born we had a lot of testing done because I already knew what it was to have a child with special needs. And I was very nervous. And I said to my husband flat out, I don't know if I can keep this pregnancy if there's something significantly wrong with this baby. And that was a huge, and he said to me, whatever you want is what's going to happen here. Like you are the person carrying this pregnancy. This is your body. This is, you know, like obviously we're both parents, but he said, I will 100% be there for you, whatever you want to decide about this pregnancy. We had so much testing done and everything came back 100% normal. My baby was born. He's missing an ear. Now, (laughs) Ears and kidneys develop the same week in utero. So when, when you have an issue with one, you the first thing you do is check the other. So the very first way to test is, has the child peed? Yes, okay, we have somewhat functional kidneys then. We can at least live the next 24 hours knowing that. So we did have a renal ultrasound when he was a few days old and that showed perfectly normal. A missing ear can also indicate other syndromes, or it can indicate a missing ear that somehow malformed in utero. And that is that. So in a, in a meat's case, that's what it is. It's just this malformed ear. There's no accompanying, um, syndrome. A meat is an incredible, like you wouldn't notice if you didn't know to look for it. Um, but he doesn't have an ear on his right side. He doesn't have an ear canal on his right side. So he doesn't, he has right side hearing loss. Um, and that is a big deal in a lot of families. And if that is the biggest thing that has ever happened to you in your life, it is, you know, it's world shattering, right? Mm-hmm. Like, oh my God. Um, and it's a visible thing, sort of. Like mm-hmm. if, if you're the child's mother, it's extremely visible to you. If you're the child, it's extremely visible to you. If you're anybody else in the whole world, it's not usually visible to you unless you know someone else with microtia, which is what it's called. And then you automatically check everybody's ears the moment they walk into your house, <laughs> right? Um, but it's a big deal for these families. And for me, like kind of on the side, like I'm in groups for parents of kids with microtia. And I mean, these parents go through this, like when the child is like, oh my God, what will we do? How will my child ever live? And I understand all of those feelings. And also I'm like, dude, get it together. Like it's an ear, move Mm on. So (laughs) my advice to parents of kids with special needs is 100%, it sucks. And I, I wholeheartedly embrace like wallowing in the suckiness for a time. Like, I think that it's important to go through that process of, mourning what you thought you had and what you wanted and what you prayed for during pregnancy. And also knowing at some point to like box that off and say, all right, like this sucks. Mm -hmm. Also, we have a child. And so let's focus on that. Yeah. 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 um, So I think that it's important to, gosh, I, I think it's important to be who you are. And I think it's important to know that you don't owe the world anything. Uh, You don't have to be whatever they envision the parent of a child with special needs to be. Like you can be the parent of a child with special needs and have tattoos and a nose ring and blue hair. I don't care. Like you don't have to fit into some, you know, whatever, some imagined ideal version of that parent. I think it's super important to know that you will feel things and what you feel will change over the years. And I think it's super important to talk about what you're feeling all the time. I think it's really great to have friends who are also parents of kids with special needs and friends who are not. I think that both of those things have their place and are very helpful. Um, And I think it's very, very important to be open with your family, um, meaning your spouse, partner, whatever, 
your children and also your extended family. Like there were times when I had to say to my parents, like, we're not going to do that. Like, that's not going to happen. A D can't handle that. And my dad's 80 and I love my dad very, very much. I love my mom too, very much. Uh, my dad's 80 and my dad is a retired surgeon from the era when the surgeon says jump and God says how high, like <laughs> the surgeon rule, right? Mm-hmm. My dad's an 80 year old white man, Republican in America, living in Arizona. Okay. There are certain things that I am not going to change about my father. And I have decided that I, I'm, it's okay. Like those things are not going to change. The change that I have seen in my father and the way he relates to a D over the last 19 years is profound and astounding and amazing and incredible. And all of those words. Right. Um, and it's a lot, you know, um, you're not going to change the world. Mm-hmm. I would focus instead on changing the people right around you because that's going to have a much more profound effect on your own life and ultimately on the world. If you focus on, I'm going to change how I respond to things, it's going to have a ripple effect outward. So like- yeah, pick- I'm glad you said that at the end because what I teach all the time on this podcast is you can't change anybody else, right? right. But you can, you can focus on you. Right. And so, right, t- focusing on how you want to show up will- right many times have a ripple effect. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, I, I always believe that. Like when I see things that I don't like in other people, I'm like, all right, what is that telling you about my own behavior that I probably right. should take a look at? Um, yeah. And I'm not willing to change all of those things. I think that's also important to know, okay, well, I'm just going to accept that as a character flaw that I'm not working on. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. And live with it, you know? Yeah. Um, and there, and there, but like pick the people who, who are your people and know that those are your people. Like they're, who are the people who you know you can call at two in the morning when there's an issue? Like hold those people close, buy them good chocolate, you know, whatever it is. (laughs) Um, But know those people, like have those people in your life because you will need them. Um, And they are, they, they are the people, they will be there and they will always be there even if they're not always physically present, like they will always, always be there. You could go eight months and not speak to them and know that you could still call them at two in the morning and they would be there. Um, You need those people. I think that's my, yeah. I I just think talk a lot because it helps. Um, Holding all of this stuff inside is is not going to do anybody any good. So Mm -hmm. yeah. Awesome advice. Okay. I know I'm looking at the time. I know we've been talking for a while and um. I mean, there's so much about like your I'm good. son. I'll talk forever. I you're, you. Okay. Like I, I want to talk a little bit about your son's diagnosed with leukemia. Mm-hmm. And that was wow. I, yeah, I can't yeah. I can't even imagine. But why don't you tell us a little bit about that? And then I and then I, I do want to end with talking about um your program and your sure. business and helping other moms who want to make some money. Uh, from the comfort of their home and maybe they have special needs kids or are going through a a tough time and you know, how to, how to help those women. Absolutely. So the cancer diagnosis was, um, a D came home from school one day and I remember my kids in special education. Um, and he, um, he's not always the most accurate narrator most reliable narrator, let's say. So he comes home from school one day and he's got these bruises on his arms. And my husband and I look at each other and we're like, he did not have those this morning. So we're like, what happened to D? So his first answer was that Amit, his younger brother had bitten him. And I'm like, Amit comes up to like your ankles. So I don't think he bit your arms. Um, So then we tried again, what happened? He's like, the police hit me. And I was like, that's even less believable. Um, So then we asked the driver who took him to school every day. So he went in a, in a van with like three other kids with special needs who went from our area to the area where his school is. So the van driver said, D sits up front. He's the biggest kid in the van. Like there's no way that anybody touched him in the van. Um, so then we called the teacher and we're like, did, did something happen at school? She's like, oh, I'm so glad you called. Cause we wanted to ask you, like, did something happen? We were like, he didn't have these bruises in the morning when he went to school. Like what? So then I think 
you know, in retrospect, I look back and I'm like, I feel like maybe I knew and I was just denying that I knew, but I said to Guy, maybe he's got some sort of vitamin deficiency um, that's causing like a small, you know, touch on his arm to bruise. We should probably take him for a blood test. Mm -hmm. So we had our best friends, our 2 a.m. people were over at the time. And we were discussing, I didn't want to go. I didn't like our family doctor and it, in Israel, the healthcare system is different, whatever. Um, like we could only go to this one specific person. Um, and our friend was like, Oh, I went to school with him. I'll, I'll go with guy. I'll take a D over with guy. Um, we'll just go tonight and we'll get the paperwork for the blood test or we'll have him look at him and see what's up. So they go and they come back and they're like, okay, blood tests are only in the morning. We've got you know, paperwork for first thing in the morning. And he wants to see him again in a few days if we haven't cleared this up. Okay. So the next morning, my husband takes a D for the blood work and, um, and then a D goes to school from there. And middle of the day, I get a notification on my phone that the blood work is in and I can check the results. So I go to check the results and it says that the tests are, um, inadmissible or something like that. Mm -hmm. And I, message to guy. This was back in the days of Google chat, ladies and gentlemen. And I <laughs> Google chatted my husband and I was like, what is this? And he's like, oh, you don't even know the nurse. She was so dumb. She couldn't get the blood out and whatever. And she probably screwed it up. And I was like, oh my God, I can't believe we're going to have to go and do this blood work all over again. This is so annoying. And it turns out that that is actually their like internal code for this is really bad news and we're not going to give it to you in an app. So then I get a phone call from the clinic. They're like, and I had a, an unrelated doctor's appointment. And they were like, are you going to come in for that? And I'm like, no, I don't think so. And they're like, we need you to come in and we need you to bring your husband and not bring your son. And I remember hanging up the phone. I turned to Guy and I said, they think we hit our kid and they want to interrogate us. Oh, I was 100% sure that we were being arrested. 100% sure. And Guy was like, I'm bringing a D because I want another doctor to look at him. Also, I want to yell at them because they screwed up the blood work. And we walk in and they literally, they hand us like paperwork to go to the emergency room. They're like, they're waiting for you there. And I was like, wait, what? And I start reading the paperwork and I was like, oh crap, this is not good. And I'm like calling my father and, and I'm like reading him and literally your brain will do so much to defend you. I knew exactly what I was reading. And so did my dad. And both of us were like, no, but they're just trying to rule that out. You know, like yeah, yeah. whatever, 12 hours later, we are they're like, they are sitting us down. We've had a lumbar puncture. We've done the whole thing. And they're like, this is T-cell ALL. This is, you know, you're, you're going to be in the hospital for quite some time. Da, da, da. And then I did one of the dumbest things I've ever done in my life. I mean, I had updated my parents, but I forgot that I had, you know, daughters and I posted on Facebook to say, Hey, this is what happened. But basically because I was just trying to get the information out because people were all over, were asking like what's yeah. going on. Right. I had like 900 people I needed to update and I did not have the energy to start making phone calls. So I posted on Facebook, which is how my children found out. So do not be the idiot I was, is my advice. How old um, were, your, were your daughters in, at that time? 14 and 12. Yeah, it sucks. And they have never forgiven me for it, by the way. Um, so, uh, so yeah, so that sucked. And it was so difficult. I mean, it was, it was tr like... My, our, we were sitting with our friends, you know, a day or two later. And, they, and my friend said to me, Hey, remember last week when Adi just had special needs? And I was like, yeah, yeah, I do remember that. That was awesome. So like, and that became, you know, we are very into our dark humor. Um, and it was bad. I mean, he had treatment and how to have side effects and complications Kids, by the way, most of the time don't die from cancer. They die from complications related to the treatment of cancer. Um, and Adi multiple times came very close to dying from complications related to the treatment of cancer. It was horrible. It was massively extended beyond, they originally told us, oh, eight months. And then like a week later, they were like, so actually he's high risk. So it's going to be longer than eight months. And then he was allergic to some of the chemotherapy and he had terrible reactions. He had methotrexate toxicity. Um, he wound up, his intestines ruptured. So he had, oh my gosh, uh, it was horrible. He had an ileostomy where he like had a stoma bag for nine months. So his intestines were emptying into a bag outside his body, which whatever you're imagining, this was worse. It was so horrible. Um, and if you had told me prior to this happening that I would change my son's stoma bag on a regular basis, I would have laughed in your face. And yet here we are. And I did those things. Um, and it, 
was so, so bad. Um, and all of my other children were falling apart mm-hmm. and, oh gosh, it was, I can't even like truly whatever you're imagining. It was so bad for so long. And, and then it wasn't like, and, and it's weird. It's like, you know, when you're pregnant and like, you learn all these things about pregnancy and birth and whatever. And then you have a baby and people are like, here, take the baby home and try not to kill it. And you're like, Mm -hmm, right. I am that I can keep this human alive. Like, what are you thinking? So that's what at the end of cancer treatment is like, they're like, okay, here, take your kid home. And you're like, are you out of your mind? Take this child home. What am I going to do? And so like you get so used to having all of these medical professionals around you all the time and then they're gone and you're, and, and you're like, like you also, you get into this, um, like you get into this character of like, I am the mother of the child with cancer and everybody needs yeah. to treat special. And like, I don't do any of the class things for my other kids and I don't do carpool and everyone takes care of me. And then all of a sudden people are like, okay, payback time. Like you'll be running carpool for the next day. I'm like, I will not No. <laughs> also my, mo- my mental health is not anywhere near where you think it is just because my kid came home. I am not better. Like, Oh my gosh. Yeah. It's such a process. Wow. So, yeah. Yeah. And you're I, all like all smiles and laughing about it now, but I mean, but this is, I mean, remember we're like five years past. Yeah, I know. But I treatment mean, now. So yeah, it was, I mean, it was dark for a long time and there are lasting scars absolutely on my family. And I, I will say, I have one piece of advice. If you have a friend, someone you care about, who's going through like that sort of horror, the best thing you can do, the worst thing you can do is say, Hey, let me know if you need anything, or do you need any help? Like, these are not helpful questions because yes, the person needs help and they're absolutely incapable of telling you what they need help with. If you are a real friend, like if you love this, if you're their 2am person, the things that you can do, you can go to their house and literally do their laundry, like Mm. clean their floors. And if you don't want to do those things, which I completely relate to, like pay money to somebody else to do those things. That is also Mm. super awesome. Um, also their other children are massively neglected. Everybody wants to be the person who goes and sits in the hospital with the sick kid and like sit there and drink coffee and whatever. Like that's the fun way to be helpful. The non-fun way to be helpful. That's so much more helpful. We had a friend who used to just take my daughter, who's my daughter's ex-boyfriend's mother. Um, I mean, they were like, you know, 12 years old, right? Like, but anyway, she like, she would just take my daughter out shopping for clothes. She was like, I know you're not going to. And I'm like, damn straight. I'm not going to. So, um, so she just did that. And it was amazing. That is awesome. Yeah. So helpful. Like do stuff like that. And these people truly like, they will think of you fondly their entire lives. Like they will always love you for that. So Mm -hmm. yeah. Great advice. Wow. Okay. How many years were you dealing with this? So I got sick on September 13th, which was a Friday, um, 2013. And we weren't done with treatment until uh, late 2016. Okay. And now he's cancer-free? Yeah. They call it no evidence of disease. Okay. Yeah. We don't like to be so optimistic and say cancer, no evidence of disease. That is the cautious medical term, but yeah, we are six years, no evidence of disease. So, and we do annual blood work and that's fraught and like several days of like, you know, just like walking around, like just waiting on pins and needles until you get results. But yeah. Okay. Okay. So how did you transition from that experience back into somewhat of a normal life. Yeah. I think that's something that it's, it's certainly not swift. It's, um, it's gradual and it has to be a choice. Like you have to wake up one day and decide, I want to try to be a little bit better today than I was yesterday, like in terms of mental health. Um, and I think that as a family, we had to make a choice to stop, you know, being resentful and angry with each other. And Mm -hmm. it really was a with each other thing. Like I was angry and resentful of my other children for having normal needs. And they were angry and resentful that I hadn't been present. And we all had to make a choice to let go of those things and to move forward. Um, I 
talk a lot about choosing happiness. Like you can, you have to choose to be happy. You have to wake up and decide. And this is like an ongoing everyday thing. You have to wake up every day and decide there are a lot of things I could be unhappy about. And instead of that, I'm going to choose to be happy about the things that I can be happy about. I'm going to find those things. I think that making that conscious choice is important. Um, I went through like 2016 to 2017 was what I call like my extended medical leave. Like I wasn't in a mentally great place. I was trying to get back into freelancing, but I was making terrible choices because I wasn't thinking clearly. Um, and I, I knew that I needed to begin contributing financially again to the household. And, and that was a reality, but I was just, I was making terrible choices and working for clients. I mean, like I was working for clients who were not paying me money. Like it, like just, I was taking on non-challenging, non-enjoyable, low paying work, and not even realize, like, not even realizing the level of self sabotage that was happening. Like, I had an, a lot of years of experience, and I was taking on crap, like actual crap, um, and allowing myself to be taken advantage of. And I, again, I have forgiven myself for that um, because I think it was part of the healing process. It was like, well, at least I'm opening up my computer each day and like going through the motions of work, even if I'm not fully present in it. Um, and, but and don't you think is, you kind of had to go through all that to figure it out, right? Like you had to kind of, yeah. yeah. Like I'm never going to say, oh, I'm I'm grateful to cancer for the lessons it taught me and whatever. But along with that, there is a process that you have to go through. Um, just like, you know, if somebody you well, love- I was not even talking to- about the whole cancer diagnosis. I was just talking about like, Oh, the freelancing process. Oh yeah. yeah. Just taking on the crappiness and like, like sabotaging yourself to be able to. That's definitely part of the process of building a business. Like growth is a scary as all get out thing. And you, you will, you'll find all kinds of ways to sabotage your growth as you, as you build a business and grow it for sure. But I think also like with the medical stuff, like, or Mm -hmm. any, any kind of like real crisis like that, there is a grieving process. There's like like just grieving for the family we were prior to that um, and and letting go, feeling that pain and then letting go of it. Um, so, and that again, it's sadly, therapy is not something that you do once and then you've, now you're healed and you're better. Therapy yeah. is ongoing for like working on your mental health. That is an ongoing process. Um, and Amen. you will do that for your whole life. So yeah. Um, Well, as long as you have a brain, I think that it's worth uh, spending time on your mental health. Yeah. Correct. Correct. (laughs) So I think that like leaning into that and just knowing like, this doesn't mean that there's something wrong with me. This means actually that I am a a well-developed, evolved human being who cares about my, my mental health the same way I care about my physical health. I may not enjoy exercise while I'm doing it, but I'm always glad afterwards that I did it. So I may not enjoy the process of therapy in the moment, um, but, you know, after it's done, like after that session is done, I'm like, okay, I'm really glad that I did that because wow, that was, that was necessary. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I I compare it to, I, I talk about dental hygiene and mental hygiene, Right. Like, and our kid, we can just think about our kids. Like they don't want to brush their teeth every day, but then when you get into the habit of doing it, and then at some point you're like, wow, that my, my, my mouth feels funny. Oh, I didn't brush my teeth. I got to go do that. It's the same thing. So funny. Cause I've recently at 46, I've recently started flossing and I'm like, this is so good. Like I'm almost at the point where I enjoy the flossing while it's happening. It's so weird. I haven't got, I haven't reached that point yet. <laughs> All right. So tell us, let's go into the, um, the, the freelance stuff. And, um, you mentioned in the beginning how you started helping other moms and when did it become, um, yeah. a business and do you only work with moms? That's yeah, no, it's a great question. I don't only work with moms, um, but most of my messaging um, speaks to moms specifically, and all of my material is designed 
with moms in mind, it works for, I mean, it really works for anybody, but you have to know that I am going to be saying things like, you know, when you're fitting this in around your kids and around your routines and like recognizing the additional challenges that moms have. But no, I don't only work exclusively with moms, not even only exclusively with women, but mostly with women and the vast majority are moms. Okay. Um, so who and, is perfect for your program? Like who would be yeah. the perfect person? The perfect person. So my program is called Writing for Money. Okay. I have a course. It's called Writing for Money. It's freaking awesome. It's like the zero to freelance writer course. Like, And if you are a person who likes words, if you're a person who in high school, English class was your favorite, you're a reader, you've always journaled, when you were in college, people were like, will you read my essay before I hand it in? Uh, you were like, term papers? No big deal. I would any day rather do a term paper than have an exam. Like if that's you, you can get paid to write. If you care about words, if you enjoy language, even if you have, if you didn't major in English, I didn't even graduate from college. So let's just clear that up. Like not only did I not major in English, I did not graduate from college. Um, I have no degree in anything. Um, I did not have professional experience when I started because guess what? Nobody has professional experience when they get started. It's right. a thing. Um, and that like what you need is caring about language and like a passion for words. If writing is painful for you, if you're like, please give me algebra or calculus any day, this is not for you. Don't do this. You'll be miserable. But if you're like, I don't even know what calculus is. Hi, that's me. <laughs> um, literally do not know what it is. Um, and you are into words and, and writing and you've kind of always self-identified as a writer, meaning you've always kept a journal. You've always been the person who like, if the PTA is like, we need a newsletter, you're like, oh, I'll do that because that's no effort at all. You know, you can get paid to write. If you look around wherever you are right now, like particularly the junk mail that comes in, but if you look anything that you see with words on it. So the insert in the antibiotics that your kid has to take for the ear infection or the paper that your pediatrician gives you about why it's important to vaccinate your child or whatever it is, you know, like anything that you see with words on it was somebody was paid to write that. And often that person was a freelance writer, not a person who had experience in antibiotics or, you know, whatever, it's a person who knew how to speak to that client and get paid to write. Um, and that's what I teach you how to do. So, um, wow. yeah. So if you're a person who likes words and likes writing and thinks, oh my God, I could get paid to write stuff. You don't need to have experience in the topic you're writing about. You don't need to have special connections in the world. I have exactly zero special connections in the world. Uh, you can get paid and you can get paid well to write for clients. Um, yeah, let's and write about how much, how much can you get paid? Really, honestly, the beauty of freelancing and having your own business is that there is no income ceiling. So when I first started out, I mean, the very first article I wrote for a website, I was paid 25 whole dollars for. It was really awesome. Um, and then over time, I figured out that I wanted like business clients more than article writing clients and that kind of thing. Um, within a few months, I was able to bring in a consistent like thousand to $1,500 a month. And over the next few years, I worked up to a point where I was bringing in a very consistent three to $4,000 a month. Then I like learned a lot of things, took a lot of breaks, made a lot of mistakes and whatever. And then learned all the really cool stuff and figured out how to make way more money, the like more money than I had ever dreamed was possible freelancing, like not working a lot of hours in a week mm -hmm. um, and working around my kids' schedules. So meaning working from the waiting room when my kid was in speech therapy and whatever, um, 10 to $15,000 a month is not, yeah. like, these are things that you can do. I'm not saying that you start this and you start right. making $10,000 a month next month. That's not a thing that happens. I, I mean, it happens for some people, but I don't know those people. Um, <laughs> You can, there is no income ceiling when you have your own business. You can grow and expand your business in all kinds of amazing ways. Um, the vast majority of women I work with, once they, once they go through my program, they're easily able to get to $2,500, $3,000, $4,000 a month. And you can grow and scale from there as you want to. And that really does depend on what do you want your life to look like? Do you want to work 20 hours a week? Cool. Like you can be bringing in $4,000 a month in that 20 hours a week. Mm -hmm. um, do you want to be putting, like my kids are bigger now, so I have more time. So I've built a business that, you know, expand, uh, encompasses multiple 
income streams, let's say multiple ways of bringing in money that can bring in as much as 30 or $40,000 a month, which is like mind-blowingly, insanely crazy to me. Yeah, I think. Yeah, definitely. Well, and I think we should give a shout out to um, our mutual connection because um, you trained Hannah. Hi, Hannah. And I hired her to do some writing for me. And so that's how we met. And it's awesome. So, so she's, she's writing every day and hanging out with her kids at home. And it's amazing. It is. It is. And it's, it's wild to see, like we have single moms in the program. Um, and because it's so flexible and you can make it what you want it to be. So for me, like, I didn't even realize that I had picked the perfect profession for having a child with special needs, but it wound up being that way because of the flexibility and just, you know, being able to be, take, take, be the person who took my kid to all those appointments, um, and, and be present for him in the ways that he needed me to be while also having a career. I was not ever good at being like just the mom, like that. I was unhappy when I was trying to just be 100% present for my children and not do anything for myself. I started the, you know, like I started freelancing for selfish reasons of like, I wanted a reason to not be with my baby three hours a day in the beginning. And then over time that grew and, and it provided money and also a sense of personal satisfaction. So. Yeah. And yeah, like you said, help, just helping other moms to yeah. Yeah. be their best. It's amazing. So I am, I love what you do and um, thank you so much for the time that you've taken to share with us and be so open and vulnerable about your experiences. I think you're an amazing person. I want to be your friend. (laughs) We can overshare with each other anytime. Um, And uh, where can my listeners find more about you and your program? Sure. Head on over to SuccessfulFreelanceMom.com. You will find links to everything from there. It's super easy. I am super Googleable also. Like I'm the only Abby Parrots on the internet. So just Google me. You'll find all the things and I'm very contactable. <laughs> awesome. And yeah, all the all your links and information will be in my show notes so people can access that there. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. This has been a blast. Thanks. All right. So we will hopefully talk again soon. Definitely. If you enjoy listening to this podcast and you're ready to feel calmer, more confident, and more at peace in your family and life, I invite you to sign up for a free consultation with me to learn about how my coaching can help you achieve the exact life you want. You'll take the concepts and tools I share in the podcast and apply them to your own life. And as your coach, I'll be there to support you every step of the way. Go to lessdramamoremama.com forward slash mini and sign up now.